But this is a final charge then to Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of God. Morning, everybody. That was the test to see if you're awake. Before I start on this passage, let's pray. Lord, here we are before you. We've proclaimed you as Savior. We've proclaimed that you can move mountains and that you are mighty to save. As we come before your, the scriptures now, Lord, we proclaim you as our Lord, as the one who has all the power and as the one who has all authority in our lives. So, Lord, as we submit to you this morning, as we tackle this whole question of the Bible in modern life, we ask, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts as we choose to submit to you. Lord, give us the determination and the will to obey and to follow you. Amen. It's traditional amongst these, um, these sermons, particularly in Tim Lomack's tradition, I can say this because he's not here today, um, to start the uh, talk like this with a joke. So here's my take on a story that often comes, um, often appended to the start of a sermon on the Bible. Um, in, back in my student days, I remember wandering around the north of Cambridge one day and coming across a laundrette. And, you know, typical laundrette, long room, great big long line of washing machines on one side, tumble dryers and everything else on the, uh, on the other side. And across the wall, right along the whole length of the wall, which was about a good 12, no, 13, 20 feet, um, in letters, block capital letters 18 inches high, was written the following useful advice. When all else fails, read the instructions. And we've all been there, we've all done it, haven't we? It's very true of life as well, isn't it? We get into all sorts of scrapes and then 
Afterwards, God says to her, taps us on the shoulder and says, if all else fails, all the instructions are in here. Come and learn to do it my way. The theme I've been given, given this morning is how do we interpret scripture in today's world? And I'm going to suggest that there's actually very little difference between today's world and the world that Timothy and Paul were facing uh, 2,000 years ago. And my reasons for this are as follows. We've got so used to the church being in the middle of the foundation of the fabric of our society, because we've grown up with it, um, or, or pretty well all of us. It's been part of the fabric of Western society, for goodness knows, probably a thousand years now. Um, and there's a great difference between that and, um, and what Paul and, Tim, uh, Paul and Timothy were facing in the first century, where they were very much a minority, the Christians were very much a minority. They were, probably best to describe it as a spearhead. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about Jesus coming into the darkness that was the world of his day as an invasion. And in some ways, that is how the church was in those days. And I believe how it is becoming again today, that, um, that we are invading force, bringing the truth of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, into the lives of people, who, uh, into the lives of people in this world who are ruled at the moment by the devil, who, we, um, who Jesus describes as the prince of this world, the prince of darkness. We are bringing light into that darkness. We are a spearhead, we're an invading force. As I say, we've got so used to being part of the uh, fabric of the society that we're actually getting, um, being in danger of being caught up by the fact that society has moved on for, uh, for, from, uh, from there. And nowadays, Christianity, the church, is no longer in the um, part of the core, uh, the core beliefs of a lot of people out there. That video that Mir, that Mir showed at the beginning of the um, the, uh, the service um, underlined that point beautifully. Um, you know, the, um, there's that person who thought that it purely had negative effects on people's lives. Drives people do lally. Um, gives a moral structure. That's not what the okay. The, there's lots of moral commands and lots of moral behaviour in the Bible. That's not, as we know, that is not primarily what the Bible is about. Um, and the one, the, the, the one that made me really sad, but I think it's true of many people um, out there in, in society nowadays, no, I haven't read the Bible, and I don't think I'm going to. So we're in a situation now where the church and society are actually splitting, and the church is no longer at the mainstream of society, uh, as I've said, or, uh, as I said already, that may or may not be a good thing. Um, you can debate that with me afterwards, if you like. I think we've just got to accept that this is happening, and I think we've got to realise that actually, we're actually the, the split is far wider than we realise, and we have to come to terms with that. And so, I believe that we're in, uh, in the 21st century um, in the church. We're much closer to the position of the, um, the church in the first century as a minority. I mean, we, we talk about being marginalized. Should that worry us that much? We are still the people of God. We still have the message of God. We still have the same um, um, responsibility to obey God and be light, be his light 
in this darkness um, than, than we ever were. And if we're a minority or a majority, does it matter? God is still God. God is still with us. God is still able to do amazing things through us. So um, let, you know, let's take up the challenge. Let's move forward with God and, uh, and see him defeat the enemy in our lives and, in the, and as a result of our, our lives in, the, in society. That's the challenge before us today. So, to return to the passage, what would be nice to do, and I suggest you do it when you get home, is to read the bits of scripture around this passage because it sets the context properly. Um, the bit, read from, say, the, first, uh, the beginning of chapter 3 through to the end of the first half of chapter 4. And you will see that Paul and Timothy and the rest of the New Testament Christians were working within a society where people didn't want to know anything about God, wanted to hear what they, they wanted to hear, were self-centered, were, uh, were not really interested in quote-unquote sound doctrine, but were interested in themselves. Um, and that ought to be ringing a few bells, I would think, with today's society. Um, what we're looking for is people who are firmly rooted in Scripture and grounded in Scripture. All right, then. Paul refers to Timothy um, as somebody who has who's had this, I mean, fortunate to have this from a very early day, days. For those of you who don't know, Timothy um, was, um, was picked up by Paul, it's probably the wrong way to put it, um, joined Paul's missionary team in the city of Lystra. You, uh, you notice that Lystra was mentioned in... Um, um, in the passage is one of the places where Paul um, ended up being persecuted. In fact, what happened there, if you look in, the, look in the Acts, he was actually taken out by the Jews and stoned and left there for dead. All I can say is he must have been very good at playing dead because he managed to fool the, the Jews. They went off and he promptly got off and, um, and went off. But you know, God's hand was on him. Paul says that God delivered him from that and from the previous persecutions. So, and that was Paul, uh, that was presumably was T Timothy's p first um, experience of Paul and what the cost of being a Christian could be. Paul, Timothy uh, was, a, was a child of a mixed marriage. Again, very topical. His father was Greek, his mother was Jewish, but his mother made a point of making sure that Timothy was brought up knowing the scriptures. So he was given that, that, uh, that grounding of the scriptures by his parents. Um, his, his mother subsequently became a Christian as well and was able to, and his grandmother, and again, they were able to encourage him and build, on, and build him up in his faith. Um, and Paul is saying that, you know, in the middle of this thing where everybody's going their own way, and in the middle of this situation where we're facing, facing persecution um, all the time, and that's probably the one major difference between our society and, uh, and first century society. Um, is that we at the moment are not persecuted. There are plenty of Christians around the world who are, and, we, and please do pray for them. Um, Andrew re, um, referred earlier to the Christians in the Middle East um, in, the upright, in the troubles in Syria, um, Christians in Iran, Christians in Pakistan, um, Christians in, um, in a lot of the adult, 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 the Arab world, sorry, world are, um, are being persecuted. Um, let's pray for them. And let's also just take note of one thing that Paul says here. And I'm not going to say much more about it, but just to more of a warning. In fact, Paul says in verse 12, everyone who lives, wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While even men go on to this, that, and the, uh, and the other. It's a warning that if you want to stand up for Jesus, you're going to start standing up against the world. I said earlier that, that we are an invading force. That's what the church is. 
that Jesus was an invading force. Jesus at the head of the spearhead, if you like. And it's going to, get, it's going to cost, just like any army, any soldier in an army knows that there is a cost. And um, we have to take that into account. So, what is scripture for? And the, the answer I find from this passage is very much for us. And I'm going to spend mo the rest of the time um, looking at this. And I'm going to look, um, divide it into three headings, and I'm going to spend most of my time on the first one. First heading is the scripture is, scriptures are holy. Secondly, the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. And finally, the scriptures are there to thoroughly equip us for a life of good works. And I'll, I'll, I'll unpack these more in a moment. Scripture is holy. Scripture is inspired by God. Or, uh, or if you want the, the lovely way that the NIV puts it, Scripture is God-breathed. I don't know how God speaks to you through Scripture. He, uh, I suspect he speaks to every, every one of us slightly differently and not always in the same way. One of the ways he, um, he, he speaks to me is that just uh, as I'm reading a passage, is he, he'll just suddenly put a spotlight on one word or a group of words or a phrase or possibly one, uh, one whole verse. And as I was reading this a couple of um, weeks ago, um, the spotlight fell on, that, on the word in verse 15 and where Paul says, and how from instancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for faith, uh, wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. It got me thinking, do we approach the scriptures with the same degree of reverence as we would with God, God himself, say, in, um, in worship? Do we accept the scripture as God speak, is speaking through the written word into our lives? If so, do we come to it with the same degree of submission that we would come to say, um, say to God in, um, you know, in a time of worship or in a time of prayer? What is our attitude to scriptures? Is it one of reverence? Is it one of faith? And by faith, I mean taking God's word for it that it is true simply because God says it. Now this is where, um, where we can get into difficulty and this is where a lot of wisdom is required. But, so, uh, but very often what God is saying and what our natural minds are saying are different. Um, if you look at um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, he talks about um, uh, the mind knowing one thing, but the things of the spirit being foolishness to the man of the, um, wise, uh, to the, man, um, of the mind. He's talking all the time about contrasting the things of the spirit versus the things of wisdom. And he says the things of, you know, the folly of God is weaker, is stronger than the wisdom of man. And he sometimes gets us to step out of our comfort zones and to do things that might appear completely irrational, might compare, go completely against all that, all that we think. But, you know, if it is in here and it is of God, then sometimes we just have to um, take, um, you know, take a big breath and put a foot out and, uh, and walk with it. And of course, as we do that, then God, of course God brings the blessing and God achieves whatever he wants to do through it. So um, we've got to be careful. Uh, got, it's a very difficult path to, to tread and it's one that we may, uh, you know, we'll make lots of mistakes on the way, but as long as we come back to God, open to him, we will find the right way through. Um, 
I came from um, Christian Union upbringing in my university days, where it's very much the wine. Uh, I suppose it's, it, it was partly the, um, the way evangelical Christian and Christianity was in those days. Partly, of course, it was, um, it was a bunch of university students um, with a very intellectual mind um, orientated um, approach, which, let's face it, is what you expect at a university. It can't be avoided. Um, but, um, and therefore, um, you know, there's an awful lot of the mind. And you can see sometimes th questions getting asked that really I think shouldn't have been asked. I mean, I can remember hearing one Bible study talk once where uh, the man was talking about Gideon. And he said at the end, was Gideon right to have put the fleece out before God? My reaction to that is, uh, and I think he came to the conclusion that no, he wasn't. Um, that's law, that's judgment. Gideon needed that. And God was gracious enough to do, to do it. And the point of that short story is that God is gracious, because Gideon was very, uh, you know, the least um, from, his, from his tribe, really couldn't see that he, you know, he, couldn't see that he was going to be um, leading a mighty army and defeating an even bigger army. Um, and he needed that encouragement. We need that encouragement. And what we learn from that story is that God is gracious and gives us that encouragement. And he takes us and he uses us as we are and encourages us. That's where we come from. And th but that's what the Spirit is saying. Right, then. Um, when we um, approach the, the Scriptures, we need the Holy Spirit. As Paul said in that passage in 2 Corinthians two, uh, that I've mentioned um, already, without the Spirit, we cannot understand the things of God. There's an old saying that um, I first heard around the same time as my university days, where, God, um, God's, where it says, trying to get the balance between the Spirit and the Word correctly. If you just have the Word, the Bible, you'll dry up. If you just have the Spirit, you'll blow up. If you have the Bible and the Spirit, you'll grow up. Neat little saying, but it does underline the, it does underline the point. Um, that we need both. So we need to come, and uh, every time we come to Scripture, we need to ask God to open our minds. We need to submit ourselves to him. We need to come with humility. Humility is the opposite of pride, and, the pri and pride at its end says, I know better than God. And with academic study, that can be very, which, which teaches you to question, to, uh, to probe, and whatnot. That can be very. Uh, it can, that can be a very easy trap to follow in, uh, to fall into. You know, using the mind to understand scripture, to find more out of scripture, is fine. But you have first of all got to be submitted to God. You have got to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That we are coming to the scriptures as the, you know, as the written revelation of the mind of God, the will of God. So we come with humility. We come listening. We come accepting whatever he may say, even if it's correction. The scriptures make us wise for salvation. When you read the scripture, I mean, it, when we had Bible studies uh, in my university days, it was very much, you know, take one verse, dissect that, take one ver next verse, dissect that, take another verse, dissect that, and times when I think that can be right, but, but, but at times you need to stand back. You need to see the overall view of Scripture. You need to, see, um, you need, you need to get the big picture, is what I'm trying to say here. And it can, uh, with that approach, you can sometimes, you can sometimes miss that. Um, and therefore, I advise, you know, sit down, read Scripture in large chunks. Just get the feel for what is important, for the, uh, for the big themes. 
it gives you a feel for what is uh, what matters to God. Okay, uh, both in what, um, what uh, the, uh, both the positive and the negative, the things that, that God really cares about. You know, love, commitment, forgiveness, being radical about sin in our lives, and such like. He also makes it very, very clear what he's not, what he does not approve of. And so, um, judgmentalism, condemnation, um, self-centeredness, uh, and 101 other things, which I'm not going to go into now. All the things that God really does not like are here in the, uh, in the scripture. Um, there is a view around, and it's still around in some evangelical circles, that, uh, that states that if something is not actually sanctioned in scripture, then it's not of God. And I don't entirely agree with this. Um, I heard of a talk few, only a few year, couple of years or so ago where uh, somebody was getting up and saying there shouldn't be music in church because it's not mentioned in the New Testament. Um, I disagree. I suppose I have to. I'm a music leader in church. But um, I disagree. I think there are hints of it there. But, but even so, um, it is not expressly, expressly preached against in Scripture. And therefore, I do not think we can stand up and say that, uh, say that is wrong. God makes it very, through scripture, makes it very, very clear what, uh, what is okay, I mean, in particular, what is not. Um, so we get um, a broad view of God's character. Okay, he is a God of love. He has poured out his love on us but by sending Jesus to die for us on the cross. He will continue to pour out his love on us, no matter how many times we get it, uh, we get it wrong. And we do. If you're anything like me, you're getting it wrong all the time. Um, we need to sit down. We, we need to read, read bits. And when we come across something that really sticks, we need to, uh, it really stands out to us. We need to just stop and think about it. Medita um, Bible meditation is something that's not really taught that often, but it's just a matter of sitting with Scripture and just allowing it to become part of one, however you, however you do it. Um, some, uh, I think Bible meditation is actually quite an important bit of worship. Some people ask, why, why do we sing the song, same chorus of a song over and over and over again? Um, and the answer to that is partly because we're just you know, sitting, being with the words, allowing the Lord to, uh, you know, helping us to help us to assimilate the truth of that. All right. And of course, the music um, adds its own um, input into that. Um, that's well, um, speaking to the emotional side of us as opposed to the, to the mind side of us. Um, and, that, and I think that's, that's a lot. Sometimes you just stop before God and just look at one aspect of him and just say, wow, that's wonderful. There's an old hymn that says, um, that says that my, right at the end, this, um, the hymn is for those of you who are old enough to remember it is, my God, how wonderful thou art. Where it finishes by saying, um, I, "I want to st uh, stay in your presence and gaze, and gaze on Thee," and again, just stopping, wondering at God, wondering at His love, marveling at the things uh, God has uh, God has done, because they be they then become more of a, a part of us, and God, um, we allow God to um, um, to really write these things on our hearts. And, became, and let them become, you know, get, get rooted deep within us. So, so our enthusiasm for God um, um, improves. Um, so, so meditate, meditate on things, respond to them, obey, obey them. 
some of, the things, some of the things God says to us may not be very nice. We had that warning about persecution. I don't know whether that's a word for us or not, but um, it's there in the scriptures and we have to take note of it. Um, but there will be corrections, there will be rebukes. And just remember that when God ticks us off, he does it because he loves us. He never, ever condemns. And unfortunately, one of the ways the Bible has been misused, I think, over the years, is that we have you know, taken, the rules, uh, ta- taken the rules, the laws, and said, no, you've, you, you've got that wrong, you've got that wrong, you've got that wrong, you've got that wrong. And that's where I take slight issue with that uh, chap on the, um, on, the, uh, on the video who said it's, it's a good moral structure. Yes, it is, but it's, um, but it's, and there's an enormous amount of moral rules in it, but it's about a God who came and died for us so that, we could, uh, so that it was made, uh, made possible for us to actually do them. But we get, um, unfortunately, we, we, get, we start giving the impression that, um, that God is uh, an angry God who's going to um, sort of zap you for every sin you've done. Now, yes, we've got, to get, um, we've got to come to terms with the judgment of God. And we've got to come to terms with, uh, and get the balance between the judgment of God and the, um, and the love of God. Um, and it should actually keep us very humble because it should, at least if nothing else, show us what we've been saved from and the price that Jesus had to pay to do it. That again is one of the big overarching themes of scripture. But um, we, ha- um, we, we have as a church often given a very negative image you know, of God as a spoil sport, um, a killjoy, uh, who's, going to, uh, um, who's going to come down on us like a ton of bricks the moment anybody enjoys themselves. And we have to take, uh, where's the church? And I'm not just talking about the church of England, I'm talking about the church of God across the ages. Um, we have to take some responsibility for that. Um, and so we need to learn to use Scripture correctly. This is why I think the, um, you know, the, the thrust of this, is that, uh, um, of this passage is that we, that we apply Scripture to ourselves. It's a tool for us. It's not a tool to browbeat others into repentance. It's not a tool to browbeat others into the kingdom. And I'm afraid we still see it being used that way. Um, and it, it just negates the whole message of the love of God. Jesus, when he came to earth, one of the things that you recall about him, I hope, is that as he went around about, people flocked to him, he, like, like moths to a light in the middle of the night, which is probably not a bad analogy, actually, now I think about it, um, because they saw that he would accept them. They saw that they could come to him as they were. Yes, he would sometimes put his finger on a few sins, but Jesus had the knack, which is hardly surprising seeing as he was God. Jesus had the knack of keeping God's love and conviction of sins in balance. And he could do it in such a way that people, people could think, oh yes, yeah, yeah, he's right, yes, that's wrong. I want to change. And that's how, um, that's how we need to be as well. We need to be attractive. Yes, uh, if we walk the way of Jesus, we're going to get a reaction, and sometimes it's not going to be pleasant. But still, we're going to attract people towards us, and that, I think, is one of the big challenges in front of us. Which brings me on to my third, and you'll be pleased to hear my final point, which is that uh, the scriptures are able to um, thoroughly, and I love the use of the word, that, uh, that word thoroughly there, equip us for every good work. And I only want to say one thing here, I was, um, I was quite struck um, thinking about the passage after the Beatitudes when Mia was pre- preaching on it last week. 
and um, not so much the Beatitudes themselves, the bit afterwards where Jesus talks about, isn't it, you know, nobody with any sense in his head lights a lamp and puts a bucket over it. And he puts it on the lampstand so everybody can see. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good work deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. And I thought that letting your light shine is being out there and being like Jesus, being attractive. The truth, of, uh, the truth about Jesus, is, uh, as we know, is of course enormously attractive. He accepts us as we are. He forgives us our sins. He wants to come and be with us. He wants to come and, um, oh, yeah, I was going to say have fun with us, not quite, uh, quite, the right, uh, quite, quite the right way. But the Christian life is a life of joy. And we've lost out on that, I think, if, uh, if we're not careful. People need to see that the Christian life is attractive assuming they want to know. Um, we need to, uh, we need, scripture works in us to make us more like Jesus. So let's get into scriptures. Let's get, dig down deep. Get, um, Paul is saying get thorough, uh, that we are to be thoroughly rooted in scripture. The more rooted we are in scripture, the more we know the truths of God, the more you will find that we're able to hear the voice of the Spirit uh, speaking to us, highlighting them, but we need to know the, uh, the, the basics. We need to know the basic script, uh, position of Scripture, which of course is the basic position of God on these issues, so that we can um, we can move on with God. Just finally, can I say that um, for those in uh, in, ha in house groups, and particularly for house group leaders, I have left a few copies of uh, some uh, some study questions. They're not ac um, on, the, on the desk at the back, and if, 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 if group leaders would like to pick one up on your way home, uh, or if you're not in a house group and would like to take uh, some questions away for further, uh, for further thinking, that's fine. Can I just point out that actually the word study is a misnomer there. They are actually, the, the idea of those questions actually to say how, you know, that we can face up to how, how are we getting on with scripture? What do we find is difficult? And to share those with each other and pray each other through these. That's, uh, so they are quite challenging questions. They're not the sort of questions I'd like to be on the receiving end of. Um, but it's always easier to set these questions than it is to answer them, isn't it? Um, but um, they're, they're so that we can get together, encourage each other into greater depth of the knowledge of God. Because as Scripture says, the earth one day will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Amen.